Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Season 2. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin speaks with Nate Altamari, co-director of Rock Voices, America's community rock chorus. Nate talks about how his days in Hyannis Sound set the tone for his love of acapella music, what Rock Voices is all about, and the value and importance of storytelling in solo singing. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now. It's the Aka Education It's Justin Glodish with another exciting episode of the Aka Education Podcast here with episode 48. Here with me this week, I have a former member of Hyanna Sound, one of the premier acapella groups, uh, summer acapella groups out uh, in Cape Cod. He's also the founder and music director for a group called Fire Drill, and he's currently directing with not one, but two independent groups known as Rock Voices uh, in Albany, New York, and in Saratoga, New York. Nate Altamari. Nate, welcome to the Aka Education Podcast. Justin, thank you so much for having me. This is fun. I'm excited. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's funny because we were just talking uh, before, you know, before I hit record, how you and I actually have a lot of different acquaintances uh, in the acapella world. But, you know, me being from the Albany area, you actually know a lot of people that I kind of grew up with, which is, is kind of cool. So we're actually talking for, for the first time ever. And we've already, it feels like we've known each other forever. Yeah. So, um, so I want to talk to you about, actually, I want to talk to you about rock voices first, because, um, you know, one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast, not just in an acapella sense, but in an education sense, is that when we have students in our groups um, who, you know, have been taught the, the, are being taught the classical way, the classical training in how to sing, when it comes to singing rock music, singing in a classical way uh, with the classical technique can be a little I don't know. It, it comes off a little awkward yeah. in, in, in a sense. So um, what are some of the things that you do with uh, rock voices and uh, how you get them to, you know, get the best sound uh, for the music that you're performing? That's a great question. I, I think that um, I should preface this by saying that the, the singers in rock voices are across the board, uh, amateur singers, novice singers. Some of them are mm-hmm. singing in a group for the first time ever in their lives. Some people might have sung, back in high school. And that could have been 20, 30, 40 or more years ago. Um, so, um, but you're right. You know, the, the, the timbre of voice, the tone of voice that we use as, uh, classical or choral singers or traditional singers is very different than what we would use in a, uh, a rock setting, much closer to what you would use vocally in an acapella setting, um, at least when singing, you know, melodies. So, you know, what, one of the things that I try to remind people is uh, to loosen up. You know, I think that people, when they're singing in a, in a large group setting and they're singing choral music, we tend to sort of get a little bit stiff. Um, the nature of our group is that we are a very relaxed uh, group. Uh, I use the phrase rough around the edges uh, on repeat. And that really is kind of the, for me, I think it's kind of the hallmark of, of part of what Rock Voices brings to the table is we're not really worried about it being super pristine. Uh, we want people to just sort of sing and have fun and um, 
I reference the original material often. You know, everything we do is right. covers of originals. So right now we're working on, uh, in our semi-virtual format, we're working on More Than a Feeling by Boston and mm-hmm. Sing a Song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, two really wonderful songs, very different styles, uh, neither of which work well if sung in a sort of traditional choral voice, right? Right. Especially, yeah. particularly Boston, right? Boston is very bright, very forward sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times what I'll do is I will play the original and I'll say, raise your hand if you've heard of Boston. And everybody says, I know about Boston. I get great. Sing like you're in Boston. And then they, you know, and they, they start to get it. And we'll do some exercises, you know, trying to work on, um, you know, front resonator stuff and bridgier nose stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of that can go over people's heads, though, right? They don't necessarily know the mechanics of, of making that change. Um, in the in Sing a Song, uh, I have used, unfortunately, I've used the phrase, put some stank on it, uh, in the last two weeks, more than I care to admit. Uh, and the <laughs> reference point for me is, um, and you're around my age, so you remember uh, the, the song Word Up by Cameo. Yeah. Right. Word up. And there's that really bright kind of brassy, nasally sound. And I basically yeah. say, sing like you're a member of Cameo for this whole song in order to just get something that isn't so round and pure, that has a little bit of distress to it to fit the style. Um, right. Technique wise, though, you know, I think and I forgive me if I'm going on too far too long. Um, technique wise. I'm not dealing with people that have learned to sing in a very specific way, right? They're not having to break their training of having been classical singers, choral singers, et cetera, voice majors, that sort of thing. We're dealing with people who are for the shower singers, car singers, uh, you know, behind closed doors by themselves singers. Um, so undoing, to a certain extent, undoing technique uh, hasn't been much of an issue. Right. That makes sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And what I love that you're actually saying is how um, you're making it relatable. You know, you talk about a lot of the the technique-based stuff that, you know, we had, like, had learned. And you're talking about people who, again, haven't sung in choir for, you know, how many years and um, or have never sung in a choir. And so they're not going to understand that. But if you say, hey, make it sound like this. Yeah you know, they're, they're working on it. And then maybe from there you can incorporate a little bit more, but yeah, it, by giving them something to relate to, I think is clutch, you know, yeah. when it comes to uh, teaching novice voices or amateur voices. Absolutely. You know, I think uh, confidence is a huge issue um, because a lot of my singers are uh, inexperienced, sort of unproven, untapped resources. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of tentative singing. I have sopranos that are singing in the full on in the middle of their full on belty range, right? They should be able to blast me off my my keyboard, but they don't. They sing really quietly. And the reference that I've been making a lot lately is the voice that you want to use, that belting voice is the shouting at... Uh, kid to get off your lawn, shouting for your dog's attention, yelling across a noisy, you know, club, that voice, that big, powerful voice. And that was, it was described to me that way in college. I had a a student, a friend of mine who said, listen, here's how you sing louder. And he said, imagine I'm on the other side of the quad and get my attention. And he, he demonstrated that voice. And he said, mechanically, 
that's the same part of your instrument you're using when you want to project, you know, mm-hmm. really big. And as soon as I said that to them, their volume increased, the intensity uh, in their singing increased, uh, and they felt more confident. And confident singing begets confident singing, right? You feel good about what you did. You say, oh, I can do this. You sing it even better the next time. And it, it sort of steamrolls on itself. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and, and that's a regular conversation that I have with people. Confident singing begets confidence. Trust that you can do it the first time. Every time after that, you'll feel better about it, and it will get uh, it, it will improve uh, every single time. Nice. Now, uh, in terms of your rehearsal model, because I know that you said uh, earlier that uh, currently you're in a, a semi-virtual. I mean, and I know that you were virtual a while back. I was looking on the Rock Voices website, rockvoices.com. There's actually a um, a virtual choir video from one of the projects that you guys did yep. uh, during the pandemic. So um, when you were in person or as you're slowly, gradually working way towards that, yep. um, what does your typical rehearsal look like? Uh, it's a bit of a free-for-all, as you might imagine. So um, uh, my Albany group is uh, around 100 singers. In general, I have between 70 and 80 in attendance at a time. Um, they're all broken up into normal voice parts as usual, right, as you would sort of expect. Um, I always have people that are ping-ponging around because they're still not sure what their voice part is, right? So they're right. trying soprano tonight. They might try alto next week. Um a little bit of warming up. Uh, my philosophy has always been if you're talking during the day, if you've been vocally active all day, you're most of the way there. You're most of the way warmed up. So we'll do a little bit of warming up. Um, and then we dig we dig right into the music. And, um, you know, they have sheet music in front of them. Uh, not all of them. I'd say probably half of them are sheet music readers. Uh, a lot of them use it for uh, directional purposes only up, down and words. Um, and, uh, and then I have a lot of singers that are re- pure rote learners. And so I spend a lot of my rehearsal singing parts at them singing. Here's how your part goes. I'll sing it three more times. Now you sing it with me in order to so help sort of reinforce, uh, reinforce that. Um, I am not a gifted pianist. And so I can play accompaniment chords and, mm-hmm single note lines. But if you were to ask me to play the soprano one and soprano soprano two split, it falls apart from there. I just, I don't have that skill. So a lot of times I'm singing a part all the way through soprano ones. This is your part. Let's go back. Soprano twos. This is your part. Now let's put them together and I'll sort of sing parts of both in order to keep them locked, locked in. Um, but it's, there's a lot of repetition because they're all, a lot of them are learning by rote. Um, Right. And I will pick a song or two to focus on for the evening. Um, We have karaoke accompaniment that we sing with for rehearsal purposes. In concert, we sing with a band, but uh, for rehearsal purposes, we sing with accompaniment. Um, And then, of course, there's me bludging, you know, bludging the piano. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know that feeling all too well. I mean, I first started out the same way. I was, you know, I could comp chords. I still comp chords, you know, but when you're teaching singing, Technically, your piano skills shouldn't be the be all and end all of what's going on, you know. And I mean, the the acapella background. We'll talk about your acapella background in a little bit, but um, being able to have them, you know, maybe even sing without the piano once they feel comfortable, so they can start hearing those voices blend. Um, one of the techniques I've usually done too is uh, once I'm done going over the soprano one line, I really all right now hum what you just sang so you can hear what it sounds like as they work with the soprano twos and try and like line everything up. And then they're starting to get it and they see how things kind of line up. But um, yeah, I think that uh, that's a, a, 
the, the piano skills just like you were speaking my language because I I wasn't the greatest piano player. I'm still, I mean, literally our band director plays piano for our concerts and I'm waving my arms around. And it's honestly for the for the concert, it's one of the first times that my students are watching me conduct them because I'm usually, you know, playing for them in rehearsals. So um yeah. Uh so let's talk about how you got there. All right. So um, when I look on the Rock Voices website, there are a few people listed here. You're just one of a few. So, and it looks like that Rock Voices, it, it's touted as America's community rock chorus. So there are other locations in the United States where this happens. So how did you become involved uh, with Rock Voices? Sure. I mean, I can give you the, the Reader's Digest is... Um, the, the organization was started by a guy named Tony Lechner. Uh, he is based in the Northampton Amherst part of Massachusetts. Uh, we went to college together. Um, so he was a grad student when I was an undergrad. He was my first vocal ensemble director while I was an undergrad at UMass. And um, so we've kept in touch. We've known each other through that world and the acapella world. He led a, a high school group that he taught at, at the school that he taught at while I was singing with fire drill. And so we would do little shows together. And um, so he, over the last six or seven years, since he started Rock Voices in Northampton, he's been reaching out to me. Um, asking every once in a while, hey, do you want to start a, a group in Albany? And at the time I was working nights and I was working weekends and I had young kids and it was just wasn't going to fit my schedule. When my schedule changed, I realized that now was probably that, you know, that was probably the right time. So I reached out to Tony in uh, December of 2017 um, and said, hey, uh, if the offer still stands, I'd like to start a group. And he said, uh, yeah, let's fast track it so we can have you running with a group by the end of February, 2018. So two months, let's take two months and make it happen. Can you find a venue, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it kind of fell into place from there. My first group was, uh, 17 singers. Um, uh, and we rock voices as a, as a model, because there are all of these groups, there's 16 groups now in the Northeast and one in Portland, Oregon, of all places. But for the most part, we're in the Northeast. And um, each of the groups sings the same repertoire every concert season. So we've got 16 groups all singing the same book, preparing the same concert, so to speak. Uh, and so when it gets to be concert time, if a choir is in need of some supplementation, choir members will migrate. They'll go and sing on another show. So I had 17 of my own singers and 35 singers from Northampton, Mass, and Brattleboro, Vermont, and Hartford, Connecticut, come and basically land on my show the night of the show without any rehearsal with me. And they knew the music, and they did their best to follow my conducting in cues. But it gave my 17 singers the experience of 60 people on stage. That's they cool. Hadn't been planning on, right? They had been thinking this is going to be a really small performance. Right. Suddenly it's just this, this massive group. Um, and so that group went from 17 to 45 to 65 to 100 over the course of four seasons. Um, and it's mostly by word of mouth. It's just, you know, friends of friends saw the show. I heard my sister-in-law does this. I want to do it too. And the group kind of blew up. Um, so after three seasons with Albany and having to relocate each season because we ran out of rehearsal space, we grew beyond what we could manage. Right. Um, 
I reached out to Tony and said, I think we could do another one of these up in Saratoga because I think they're two uniquely different locations. They're far enough apart that there isn't a lot of cross-population between the two. Saratoga people never want to come to Albany and vice versa, right? Oh, yeah. I'm from the area. I I, I know quite well. Yeah. Um, And so we started a group in Saratoga, and that group took off just as fast. We went from like 45 to 70 to 90 singers in three seasons. Um, And uh, the experience has been equally rewarding but very different because there are differences in people, right? Different group of people. You can never know really what the chemistry is going to be. But it really was for me just um, the timing was right for Tony to reach out or for me to reach out to Tony and say, yeah, this is, this is the, the, the time is good for me. My wife is willing to give me, you know, a night or two a week to go and do this. Um, And uh, and it's, it's been the best thing, man. It's been the best thing I've ever done. Like, Fire drill started and eventually sort of fizzled. We plateaued at we, you know, we sing together once every two years, maybe mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, so there's been no real singing in my life for a few years now. Um, right. And while I'm not performing in the same way, the the Rock Voices experience has filled uh, every musical void in my life that I've that I've had. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioning Fire Drill. Fire Drill was actually one of uh, your semi-pro pro groups that you were taking part in. Yep. Um, but before that, I mean, you talked about uh, UMass Amherst, which is where you did your undergrad. And um, you, you were involved in an array of choral groups there, but yep. also, I believe, a, a doo-wop style group. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until you spent the summer uh, in Cape Cod um, singing in Hyannis Sound that you got your true first contemporary acapella experience. Yeah. So what was it like transitioning from, say, that doo-wop style, that even that choral sound, to getting your your first taste of what we now consider contemporary acapella? Yeah, you know, I think most college groups, if you look at the sort of the model for a college group, it's a 10 or 12 or 16 or 20 person group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, you know, where did, what, what was your college group experience? Uh, I was in the uh, SUNY Potsdam pointer counts, uh, right. and it varied by it varied by semester, it varied right. by year, just because we had guys who, some reasons would leave, some uh, student teaching, right. whatever that may be. So you know, my first experience, there was about fifteen of us, right. uh, and then eleven, and then you know, sixteen. It, it, it varies, sure. but um, but we so, always tried to make sure that we had at least two to three guys on a part, in, in a sense. Yeah. So so my group at UMass was a five guy group. Mm-hmm. And because it was a five-guy group, obviously we were we were singing individual parts, but we were also singing almost exclusively this really simplistic music, Temptations, you know, Sam mm-hmm. Cooke, Four Tops, that kind of stuff. And it was all taught by rote. And because we all had established voice roles, the music director of that group, when I first joined up, he basically was like, Here's the. I'm going to play the chords once through. You know where you fall in the triad, right? You know what part of the chord you are. So you just sing the part you know you're supposed to sing. And we kind of like seat of our pants it for years. That was kind of what we did. Um, but then, yeah, so I uh, the Vineyard Sound came to UMass and did a show with us. And the Vineyard Sound was started a year before Hyannis Sound by Townsend as well. Uh, they came and did a show at UMass for a fundraiser. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a large person, a 10-person group. Um, 
uh, especially a group that polished, right? Really professional sounding group. And right. they put me in touch with Hyena Sound because they had, at the time, they only drew from a few different schools, Skidmore and Connecticut College and Wesleyan. That was it. Right. Hyena Sound was a little bit more open. They just sort of took singers from wherever. And so they put me in touch with the guys in Hyena Sound and I auditioned and got in and was scared out of my, I'm just, I couldn't, the idea, like moving to the Cape with sight unseen for the most part, no idea what was going to happen. Um, mm. Living in a house with nine strangers, it was like the real world. Uh, and, uh, and um, but yeah, like we, I went from a group that never used sheet music to a group that relied heavily on sheet music and did arrangements by a wide range of people. So styles were really varied. Um, mm. And uh, you learn to deal with, uh, you know, personalities, right? A whole bunch of new personalities and stuff. Um, but yeah, like I, I came back to UMass the next year and all I could think was, we need to double our group. We need to be at least 10 people because that's the only way you can do this. Right. Right. We were doing it, but the, I've had this experience and it needs to be different now because this experience changed my opinion or my, my sort of experience, my, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My uh, perception of what uh, an acapella group should be. And everybody in my UMass group was like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So you got to figure out how to be okay with that. Um, and so I learned how to sort of balance the two because I, I went back to Hyena Sound. Uh, I continued with my group at, at UMass. Um, and I saw the the joy of two very different models. Um, mm -hmm. But the contemporary acapella sound with vocal percussion and dedicated vocal bass and not singing just words, but, you know, really trying to mimic instruments and that thing, I got bit by that bug. Um, and so right. uh, From Hyena Sound had several little semi-pro groups that either took off for a while or didn't, um, mm -hmm. trying to find, you know, sort of a path. Right. Now, uh, out of curiosity, you had mentioned how a lot of uh, what you did with your five person uh, group in college uh, was all rope. And uh, actually, we had uh, we had Claude McKnight from Take Six yeah. uh, last season, and he said their first album was completely rope. And when yeah. they were asked to arrange it for, I believe, for Hal Leonard for uh, to create a songbook, they had to go back and like notate it yeah. like they were, but they learned the whole thing. But I'm curious, did the idea of using sheet music in Hyena Sound, did you take that back to the doo-wop group or did you continue doing things by rope? I tried to. I tried to. Uh, and it, mm -hmm. when I got back there, it became clear that only two of us out of the five could read music to begin with. So it wasn't gotcha. it wasn't going to be helpful. Um, I had been at that point uh, a, a voice major. I was studying voice and the musical director at the time was a voice major. Um mm -hmm. And uh, and then three guys who just sang and enjoyed it. So uh, it, it it wasn't going to work, the sheet music model. Um, and to my knowledge, until a lot later, well beyond the years that I was there, um, I, I don't think they ever really brought sheet music in until probably the last, you know, eight or 10 years. Gotcha. And what, what I find awesome about Hyanna Sound is the amount of alumni who like have gone on, like Hyanna Sound is almost like a, it's not a school, but it's like the prep school group for like professionals. It, it seems like, I'm, like right? I'm looking at, yeah. I, I can use uh, John Smith as an example who sings with the swingles yeah. out in England. Um, and then these three gentlemen who are just on America's Got Talent this year, they call themselves uh, the TikTok tenors. Yep. All three of them were members of Hyena Sound at one point. And uh, yeah, just 
I remember, you know, back in the, I guess the, we'll call it the Napster, LimeWire, <laughs> you know, computer virus era yeah. of downloading music. Uh, there were those acapella tracks that said rockapella, but, you know, they're actually, some of them were actually Hyena Sound and Hyena Sound had some of the really good quality arrangements. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they were like a group that, I was floored by in college, um, you know, and even when I was singing with the uh, Sons of Pitches in the Fault Line, it was just mind blowing to hear this group who, like you said, they literally just come together for the summer, yep. and yep. The, and it, and it's it's their job, like they're putting together things at a fast pace. They're performing almost nightly. It's it's intense, and uh, you know, some some really great people, including yourself, have come out of that. Well, thanks for saying so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think of myself as I was a very early member of Hyena Sound, and uh, twenty four years since I left that group, or three years, twenty three years since I left that group, has fed the music world some just unbelievably talented people. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, Sons of Serendip was a group from that was on America's Got Talent a few years ago, and Micah Christian mm-hmm. is their lead singer. He was a Hyena Sound guy. Um, and he is one of the most extraordinary singers I've ever met. But there's just countless people. Uh, and all of us in the early era of Hyena Sound agree that if we were to try out for a group from 2005 on, none of us would have gotten it <laughs> at all. Oh, yeah, that's 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 how I look at it, too. Yeah, yeah I um, I don't think I would ever I don't think I would get in my college acapella group now, to be honest. Um, and these guys, you the know. new guys, uh, the T3 guys uh, from from America's Got Talent, those guys are insane each of them individually are just just insane singers yeah and like again these guys come from all over you know i know one of the one of the guys was um you know he was a recent ithaca college graduate you know one was singing in school of rock in a national tour of school of rock you know and another one he sings perfect like they're phenomenal at what they do it's just it's great to see um how hyannis sound has kind of catapulted you know some of them into the next thing you know yeah um, so I also brought you on here because, uh, a while back when I was singing with, uh, the fault line, we did this gig in, uh, Kettering, Ohio, yeah. uh, with a man named Brody McDonald. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people in the acapella world know Brody. Uh, he's one of the acapella educator association, uh, board members. Um, and he, he has, you know, one of his groups was on the sing off one season. Uh, he's written a few books about contemporary acapella, biggest one being, uh, his first one, acapella pop complete guide to contemporary acapella singing, which he actually mentions the fault line, uh, references are a reference to Turkey bacon. Like it's not real bacon, <laughs> but it's almost there, you know, in, in reference to, you know, your performance is almost there, but not quite. Oh, but funny. you actually contributed a chapter on solo singing. I did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask just because I know that when it comes to even in the choral setting, it could be choral, acapella, whatever, um, there is a certain, I feel there's a certain way that you approach how the soloist prepares versus how the group it prepares, you know, your background voices prepare. So what are some tips that you have for, you know, just soloists in general? I know that this is the beginning of the school year and there's going to be a lot of auditions coming up for a lot of groups and, you know, any tips that you have in terms of how to prepare the best possible solo? Sure. This is it. So I, I think I mentioned this before. This is a, a deep cut because I haven't looked at any of that content since probably <laughs> the day I emailed a draft to Brody. Um, and uh, the thing that I think resonates with me that I, that I still reflect on from that idea is 
storytelling and how important storytelling is when you're singing. Um, and I think that there are people that would say it's maybe not as important when you're singing an up-tempo, you know, fast-paced pop tune. Um, but man, when you think about something like, uh, you know, Ed Sheeran tunes and, uh, Bruno Mars, more of his ballad area era stuff, you know, um, but you think about contemporary solo singing, um, particularly slower songs, it's all about storytelling, thinking about what you're singing, knowing what you're singing, uh, what the story of what you're singing is, making sure that you're, if you're performing live, that your face reflects the sentiment of the story that you're singing. Um, and, uh, I'm a lyric guy. I I'm totally a lyric guy more than I'm a melody guy. And I think about lyrics a lot more when I hear songs or when I am, uh, when I'm singing songs. Um, and so I, I tend to get lost in the meaning of what's not in the, in a bad way. I get lost in, like, I get sort of taken away from the moment when I'm singing a song. Um, and, uh, there are times where I coming out of a performance, I won't remember having sung, you know, any of the choices that I made until I go back and listen to it. Um, because I'm just thinking about the, content of the song, the story. Um, so that's always the first thing that I tell people, what is this song about? Ask people, what is this song about? What, uh, does it mean to you? Uh, how can you express that with your voice? The melody is probably going to stay the same, but what do you do with your voice in order to make that story make sense? Whether it is, um, you know, do you need to sound a little bit broken while you're singing this because it's a sad song? Maybe you can't sing it super pure. Maybe you need to sound vulnerable and out of breath, or maybe your voice needs to crack. We, I refer to it as passion crack. You have to, if your voice cracks because you are so passionate about what you're singing, that's fine. And it's admissible. Let it happen. Um, uh, that's always the first thing that I go to. Um, the technique stuff is all the same. Breath support. Um, you know, make sure that you're breathing more often than you think you need to. And don't challenge yourself to keep going when you feel like you're running out of breath. Find a place to breathe. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, my technique is a part of it, but that's I'm, that's all. All of those things I feel are are relatively rudimentary, and they apply to all of it, right? They apply to mm-hmm. group singing as as well. But as a solo singer, knowing your melody, knowing the meaning of the song that you're singing, and if you are someone who wants to embellish, you have to build. You can't go into the first verse of a song as if you you are, are wanting to modify the melody that much. Right. Exactly the melody for the first verse, a little bit of a variation in the second verse, do something really different at the end or in the bridge. Like that's the, the bridge is the peak. Maybe that's where you want to do the embellishing and stuff. Um, but <sighs> I think it's important to remember too, with the embellishing is that um, sometimes less is more. And no more limits. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I can't yeah. do any of those fun trilly cornering R and B things. I just don't have that dexterity with my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to compensate by big sound, you know, pure sound. Uh, trying to be really, really accurate. You know, I pride myself on having control in that regard. But, but man, like anytime I ever try to put something a little bit 
uh, well, put a little bit of stank on it, right? <laughs> Anytime I try to really do that, I feel like I crash and burn. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am all for keeping it, keeping it simple and accessible. Your listeners want to be able to sing along in their head or to the recording that they take home. And if you're singing beyond the ability of your listenership, they're going to get discouraged. They're not going to sing along with this, your track because they're not going to feel, they're going to feel like they're, they're never getting there. Oh, this is so frustrating to try to sing along with this. I don't even want to bother. But if it is just beautiful singing and it's just, you know, pure tone singing with good vibrato and a couple of really tasty choices that a listener can say, oh, I think I can do that. I think it makes them feel really good. So that's always what I strive for. And I think that's what sets it apart, too, is that when you have, um, you know, someone who is singing, you know, let's say Georgia on my mind, you know, nice, beautiful ballad, Georgia on my mind. But if they're just embellishing, 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 then the the song loses its meaning, you know. And um, again, like you said, the you want to grasp the audience and you want them to come along for the ride, not kind of push you off to the side and be like, no, thanks. I'm done. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I agree 100%. And, and storytelling is like, it can be tricky with some of today's pop music. Right. Uh, it's uh, just not a, uh, not a lot of content, right? It's really not. It's, no. it's, it's very formulaic. It's uh, you know, like Max Martin even, you know, admits when he write, when he wrote songs for Britney Spears and NSYNC, he's like, it needed the rhyme, you know, and it, and it makes, makes no sense. Um, but I like the, uh, the passion crack that, uh, I have written that down and I am going to use that. You need the passion crack. Yeah. You do. explain Mr. Glodish. What does that mean? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so no, I feel like it's a real thing. And I think people are, try so hard to make everything so pristine that you lose, it becomes artificial almost. Right. And the song, like you mentioned, I mean, Georgia, Georgia on my mind, people singing that song. I've heard that song where it is just, it might as well not be that song anymore. Right. Right. And you think, I mean, you think about, you know, modern interpretations of the national anthem, right. And that are so far off from the intention of that song. And that's why everybody goes back to Whitney, right. Because she just sang the song. And she didn't overdo any of it, right? I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's literally something that I do every year with my general music students is I have, you know, I have Whitney's. Um, I just, I started using the pentatonics one from the World Series uh, last year. Um, You know, my buddy Adam, uh, who I sang with the fault line, he's actually the official anthem singer for the Carolina Hurricanes in the NHL. So he sings it like every like playoff game. They're airing the national anthem. And then the the Fergie version from the All-Star game a few years ago. And um, my students have a lot to say about that interpretation simply because they're used to what they know. Yeah. But when they hear it, they're very confused. And it, it's that they didn't get a go along for the ride. They like kind of pushed it off to the side, you know? Yeah. And it doesn't help that you got, you know, guys like Draymond Green and Steph Curry laughing at the end of it either. But again, it's... It's all about what you said. It's it's engaging and connecting. Yeah, yeah. So, man, it's it's been awesome to actually like finally get to talk to you. Yeah, and, you too, man. Learn, learn learn a little bit about your history. You know, you mentioned Townsend Belial, who um, you know, you said uh, basically founded one of the founders of Hyena Sound. Yeah, yeah. who uh, was very helpful in uh, the beginning of my professional acapella career. You know, um, he knew a lot of people, and I believe you sang with him in Fire Drill as well. 
Uh, see, he was a he was an an influence, but he's not a uh, he's gotcha. Not a, yeah, so he wasn't a fire drill guy, but he uh, was an unofficial Hyannis Sound member as the founder. But he was a m- original member of Vineyard Sound. Um, gotcha. And uh, yeah, and just like a this sort of small empire of acapella uh, mm-hmm. with these groups, and, uh, and yeah, he's he's great. Now, uh, one last thing before we go, and it, sure. it's going back to actually going back to rock voices. Yeah. Um, if one was interested to either take part in rock voices or start another chapter, mm-hmm. say somewhere else, um, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I know that, uh, the, uh, the, the long-term goal is to embody the slogan, which is America's uh, community mm-hmm. chorus, uh, community choir. Um, so I think that's what it says. I don't know. Uh, He's wearing the shirt for those I, who did that. I know it's an audio <laughs> podcast, but he is wearing the rock voices shirt. Um, so, uh, Tony's m- goal is to expand sort of to daisy chain across the country, South and, and West. Um, so the furthest West we are right now, we have a, a group in Buffalo. Um, and, uh, beyond that, I think the, the, the idea is that if people want to start groups, he wants to make sure that there is another group relatively nearby drivable right. so that there is that support from a, a group. But, um, uh, emailing me, emailing Tony at Rock Voices or Nate at Rock Voices is a great way to reach out. Uh, my role in the organization is I am the director of outreach for Rock Voices. Uh, so in addition to directing two groups, uh, I have a job with them, although I have been furloughed since May of 2020 and I continue to be. Um, mm. But uh, planting and establishing new choirs is part of my responsibility, one of the things that I do. So reaching out to me if you're interested Um uh, we're looking for people who are uh, great with a wide range of people and a wide range of ages. My median age is 50 to 75, um, and that's pretty common. Most of the groups are older, you know, parent our parent age singers. Um, right. Uh, ability to, to, to uh, understanding of contemporary music, rock music. That's pretty much all we do. So you can't be the opera singer, classical singer who says, well, I've, you know, I, I know about rock and roll. Like you have to be somebody who knows rock music. Uh, right. But yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the, the way to do it. Uh, to sing with us. Um, there are, uh, all 16 locations are listed on the rockvoices.com on the website. Um, take a look and see if there's one near you. The only real requirement is, uh, you gotta be an adult. Um, there's no audition required. Everybody is welcome as long as you're an adult. Um, and, uh, we have, I can't, can't possibly express how much fun we have. We have an incredibly good time. It looks like it. I mean, like you said earlier, uh, currently you're working on more than a feeling by Boston, not the sync version, no. uh, just so everyone knows, which actually, which is weird because I did an acapella arrangement of the sync version, which was done by a guy who was in Hyannis sound oh, a while back. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, so, you know, some earth, wind and fire, but you also, the, current video that is right on the front page here is uh times like these by uh the now rock and roll hall of fame uh foo fighters so um the the great great me i mean i'm a fan of all this music i'm not gonna lie is uh mostly you said it's all rock so we talking mostly classic rock do we go into like the mud vein and the the stained and stuff like that i think think the the, sort of the, the the darkest stuff we've done we've done a couple of king's x tunes um uh 
But we go back, I mean, we've gone back as far as the 50s. Uh, there's not a great selection of music from the 90s. So 90s is a relatively blank spot in, in the, the repertoire of the group. But um, right. the most, I mean, obviously the thing we're looking for is that there are vocal harmonies. Um, the, the music that we do are, they're tra- direct transcriptions. So there's no... Uh, you know, unique interpretation like an acapella arrangement. It is a transcription of what is originally sung and then broken up into voice parts where applicable. So vocal harmonies are the goal, if possible. But we um, just before COVID, we had been working on uh, on a rush tune that had no harmonies. It was just one single melody line. So we were just belting it out in you know two octaves. Um, nice. Uh, so if the song is good enough to carry itself, then that's fine. But vocal harmonies help, hence Boston, you know, and, and uh, Earthland and Fire and that kind of stuff. Awesome. So uh, for those of you that are listening, if you're interested uh, and you're in the Northeast, I should say, um, yep. or if you want to get a hold of Nate, um, go to rockvoices.com uh, to check them out. Uh, Nate Altamari. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Occupation Podcast. Absolutely. This this was a lot of fun. Uh, We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts. And let me tell you, it's free. Uh, There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's another episode down for the Aka Education Podcast. Thank you so much to Nate Altamari for joining me this week. Be sure to check him out at rockvoices.com. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media at Aka Ed Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Acaville Radio, acaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.